Welcome to the Lift Lounge Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Neff. And I'm your co-host, Kyle Cortez. So how's your last seven days been? The last seven days has been pretty well. Uh, we're in the second week of this metabolic phase. You know, it's been a, it's been a nice change up from the type of work that we've been doing for the past few months. Uh, you can, we've been like switching up to, you know, more, more higher rep kind of stuff, more pump work. And it, I think I've become like desensitized almost to the, the hypertrophy type of just straight sets type of workouts. So, I mean, joints and connective tissues and, um, and stimulus to fatigue ratio was going down a little bit when we were doing the more hypertrophy style stuff. I was starting to feel a little bit of like aching in the knees and a little bit mm -hmm. in the like shoulder towards the end of like the last mesocycle. So it's been a nice change up to get into higher reps and, you know, just different, um, some different exercise variations as well. And like, I, th I think the pumps have just been a lot better on this more, this more metabolic phase pumps and mind muscle connection and stimulus to fatigue ratio overall. And yeah. Yeah. It can be so nice to transition from the traditional five to 12 reps with, you know, the rest periods of three to five minutes or even a little bit longer on some of those bigger movements uh, and mm -hmm. just breaking up the monotony and implementing some rest pause techniques, some supersets, um, and and chase that pump, especially because you're very sensitive to uh, the metabolic work right now. Um, so since you've been on this program for two weeks, do you feel like you're starting to get more cravings for carbohydrates? Um, how's your appetite been on this new program? I feel like I've been like a lot more hungry around training and a little bit after training as well so like we we talked about like including carbohydrates during um the workout because the more metabolic phase is more glucose dependent so i have been including like stuff like gatorade um intro workout i actually just ordered the the powder gatorade like a big one off of amazon so um yeah that's going to be very beneficial for this this phase but yeah, I noticed that I've I've been a lot more hungry, um, especially after training, I would say. But I have to be kind of careful about like eating immediately after because I've had like stomach issues, right, with eating a little bit too close to to training. Um, probably just because I'm more sympathetic after training. Yeah, yeah. I really yeah, to I get think myself that's to, like, the thing calm with down with the metabolic stuff, it gets you just so overly amped up, especially with some of those techniques, you know, they're not, uh, you know, the pump is nice, but to get that pump, like you have to go through uh, hell, so to speak, to do that. Um, yeah. But to your point with the, uh, the Gatorade powder, you know, you can get like, what, three, four months of servings for 10 to $15. Um, and then you see some of these companies are selling in, you know, they're, they're different types of carbohydrates, but uh, selling these powders that you can get, you know, 30 workouts and they're like, it's like $60. Um, 
So I would just say, you know, if, if something is digesting really well, like Gatorade, um, you're getting good pumps with it. Like by all means, keep it, keep it up. Um, yeah, as far as the nutrition right now, um, your carbohydrates are over 500 grams, right? Yeah, over 500, uh, 550 to be exact. But we were doing like a push-up phase where we're like getting pretty high up there, but just because of like how much activity I was doing at work. But as of right now, work isn't like as busy. Like we, we've passed that point in um, at work where like the majority of like our work has been done. So it's kind of like in cruise mode. So we're not really getting much activity. So expenditure has been down. Um, on average, I was at the highest, I think it was like 14,000 steps, close to 15,000. And now we're, we're cruising at about like 7,000, almost 8,000, almost 8,000. So that allows us to facilitate um, weight gain by staying on, you know, the, the same macros because I'm not as active, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Now, as far as digestion goes, you know, being up in the 500 plus grams of carbohydrates, um, it can be pretty difficult to get all of that in and not go through some digestive issues. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so, like, what are some of the, the staple meals that you have uh, while in such a big surplus? Honestly, like the majority of my carbs come from rice, like yep. <laughs> breakfast Oh, like rice and oats. That's the main stuff. I mean, bre of breakfast, I won't have carbohydrates. I don't like having heavy meals in the morning just because like I start at, start work at 430 and then sometimes we'll be out on the job, maybe about like five o'clock, 530. So I need something that's just going to like digest pretty quickly. So usually it'll just be like um proteins and fats for me uh, and like i don't like just heavy meals just like sitting in me while i'm working and then like i'll have maybe 300 grams of like rice lunch dinner and then like post-workout i'll have maybe like 60 grams of oats or something like that in, inside of my uh, my smoothie that i make and then the, the the gatorade powder as well that also contributes that i can get like an easy like 30 to 50 grams of carbs there and then like some days if i'm really struggling to to hit my carbs i'll have something like pomegranate juice at dinner like maybe 10 ounces 12 ounces and yeah i think that's that's it for carbs really like i don't i don't really go into the more um highly dense stuff like the sweet potatoes and stuff uh, just because i'm in a surplus right now. Um, and you know, the, the amount of calories for the amount of volume that like sweet potatoes and like potatoes offer, it's, it's not going to be feasible for me because I'm getting upwards of, you know, 500, almost 600. That's just a lot of food volume for me. If I, if I did, but when, when I am yeah. going to go into a, like a, a fat loss phase, I will be utilizing more of that, um, that stuff like potatoes and whatnot, less rice. Yeah, I was just about to say, that's a great takeaway right there. Like, if you're in a deficit, you're trying to get voluminous amounts, large amounts of, of carbohydrates to fill your stomach, maybe choosing something like a potato, 
would be the way better option than rice, right? Plus, I think, um, what is it? Boiled potatoes have one of the the highest satiety indexes out there. Uh, boiled potatoes, maybe baked potatoes as well. Um, but I'm the same as you when I'm in the surplus having you know, 500, 600 grams of carbohydrates, rice tends to be like at every single meal. I mean, I'll have, uh, I'll have white rice. You know, I, I love jasmine rice, uh, sushi rice, uh, just varying types of, of white rice uh, tends to digest very well for me. And then I'll also do like rice based cereals, uh, checks. Uh, rice, uh, with, with rice Krispies, um, off brands of that stuff. Um, and then the cream of rice as well. Um, that oh, tends yes. to digest very well for me too. Yeah. Yeah. Me as well. Um, and then I usually save like oatmeal for, for when I'm dieting and stuff like that for, um, I feel like that's a little bit more satiating than something like the cream of rice. Um, what were you saying? Yeah, I'm I'm a big guy on like cream of rice and cereal as well. Like that'll probably be like my last meal of the day. Uh, like after dinner, I'll have like a dessert kind of thing just to get like carbs in like really quickly. Like cereals are really good fast digesting carb for me, and cream of rice yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. I saw um oh uh, I don't know her name Leanna Leanna something um I think she is um, if you know. Um, the IFBB Zane guy, he actually has a gym called lift lab too, uh, ironically. Um, but I saw what she did was she took rice crispy cereal and then she blended it up into, uh, in, in like a magic bullet and then poured it out. And it was crazy. It was like this family sized rice crispy, uh, you know, just tons and tons of carbs. And it came down to like just a 16 ounce cup of uh, you know, fit like in a 16 ounce cup. And then she made like a smoothie out of that. And it's like, man, that's an easy, easy way to get a large amount of calories. Um, which then kind of pulls into the next thing that you talked about, which was liquid calories. Um, you know, pomegranate juice, uh, protein shakes, um, tends to be less satiating because you don't have to, to chew through it. And it's already kind of pre pre digested. Um, but one thing that, um, when I was working with, Alan Cress, uh, he had me do pomegranate juice mixed with uh, tapioca starch maltodextrin, mixed with protein powder, mixed with peanut butter and honey. And it was like, you know, 1400 calories, like right when I woke up. Oh my. And, uh, you know, pomegranate juice, especially if you're not used to it, man, it can wreak some havoc on your gut. Oh yeah. Have I, you, I've, have I've you experienced like, yeah. that? See, when I was having like my stomach problems, I didn't know if it was from the pomegranate juice or the bananas. See, I've been having like Ooh. issues with bananas as well. Like in my smoothies. Um, I don't know if it's like when it's overly ripe, it'll just give me like really bad stomach cramps. But I remember like those days where I had really bad, um, stomach issues i did have pomegranate juice and bananas so i i wasn't too sure you know which one it was but i mean i've been drinking pomegranate juice like every other day and i've been fine so i'm, I'm assuming it's the, it's the bananas but the banana, but yeah, yeah. But, but like the the pomegranate juice i mean no issues there like when i first started drinking it i thought it was 
I thought it was just so sour and I was like, oh, what is this? <laughs> like, I'm not used yeah. to like that really tart flavor, but I can't even imagine like making a smoothie out of that, like with protein and like, yeah. It was how, pretty how did difficult that, how did that to go get down? down. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I would imagine. Pretty... I would throw up. Ugh. Yeah, it was pretty brutal at times. Um, but the more I did it, the more I got used to it because like you, uh, the pomegranate juice, man, it's just so it's pungent, you know? Yeah. Um, like yeah. I would actually take pomegranate juice and if I had to have like five, six ounces, I'd actually just water it down. Um, mm -hmm. I just like half and half it. Um, yeah, it, it can be brutal. Oh, there, there is a difference though, between, I don't know if you tried the Kirkland brand one and the, um, the palm brand, you know, the one that kind of looks like a gourd. Oh I've, yeah. I've, yep. I found that the palm brand one is not as sour and not as tart. So I can tolerate that one a little bit more, but it's just a little bit more expensive. And when I'm at Costco, I'm like, uh, I'm going to go for the cheaper option. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. That, that's exactly what I do. I, uh, usually when I go to the store, I will just shop on the yellow sticker tag. I'm like mm -hmm. looking around just for yellow stickers, especially now, like, you know, I, I won't lie. My, my wife did quite a bit of the shopping the last year of my life. Um, mm -hmm. and she started using this service called hungry root. Um, I think it's just like one of those, there's tons of services that do this now, but, uh, they'll send you ingredients and then here's your recipe to make. Right. Um, so when I went to the store a couple of weeks ago, um, I was just kind of blown away by the prices of everything. Um, since, yeah. you know, inflation's up so much this year, but yeah, yeah. it's, it's wild. Dude, living in Hawaii is wild, man. Like <laughs> if you, if you're, if you're not shopping at like wholesale, like places, like if you just go to like a regular supermarket, dude, a gallon of milk is like, it can reach upward of like almost $10, dude. It's ridiculous. Whoa. Yeah. Like the really like, um, higher end, you know, like grocery stores. Yeah. Like $9. For like a gallon of milk like what the f wow <laughs> yeah that's incredible dude. like yeah. dude yesterday i went to the store and i was getting um almond milk um mm -hmm. you know we have uh raw milk we have like a half a gallon of raw milk that we get every week but i always like to have the almond milk to you know i make a, sh a protein shake every day um and you know drinking whey protein with water is eh, yeah eh, i'm not a fan know. No. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to get like the low calorie almond milk mm -hmm. with the vanilla flavoring and, and make this like a deluxe protein shake. So I go and, and, uh, I think a gallon was like close to $6 and I was like, nah, nope, I'm going to suffer. Um, I'm just going to make <laughs> watery protein shakes for the rest of my life. And you know what? I'll even eat my cereal with water. I don't care. Like I'm not oh. paying $6. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that that that's a uh, that's reaching there. I don't think I go that far. <laughs> yeah, we're taking uh, poverty macros to a new level. Oh, um, to a whole another level. No, like we go through almond milk so fast. Like that, we go through um, the Costco three pack one. I want to say in a week. Like I'm eating cereal. I'm I'm making smoothies, yeah. and you know my fiance is also doing the same. So yeah, we can go through three of those things in a week. It's crazy. And those are the Kirkland brand, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, this yeah. um, silk brand. I think it's, um, it comes in like a little three pack, but yeah, it's the silk mm. brand almond milk. 
Yeah, we end up, we actually get uh, raw milk. Uh, we're part of this like herd share in the area. Um, and, you know, I drank that all throughout my, uh, my deficit and raw milk is just, I mean, now that I've had that, uh, it, it's hard to go back to almond milk because it mm -hmm. is just so creamy, so fatty. Um, mm -hmm. have you, have you guys ever had raw milk before? I've never had, I, I can imagine though how like thick and rich that thing is though. Yeah. It's yeah. It's, I'm, I'm not really a fan of that though. Like I've never really been a, like a milk drinker. So I mean, I'm, I'm not really a, a fan of like the, that the real stuff. The, yeah. 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 Do you guys, you guys go to Costco? Do, what other, uh, Rest or uh, grocery stores? Do you guys have? Um, I think the main chains that we have here is like Time Supermarket. We have a Safeway. I, we don't really shop at Safeway. Um, we have a grocery store called Foodland, and then like there's a higher end version of Foodland. It's called Foodland Farms, where they have a lot more organic stuff and a lot more, um, you know, local, local stuff. But I mean, majority of the times, if we're not getting bulk foods, we'll just pick up like odds and ends things. It'll just be from like a regular old grocery store, like say our time, our time supermarket is what we call it. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. I, mean, I didn't know like, if you guys had any brand like uh, Kroger, Walmart, you guys have any of that stuff out there? Yeah. Um, no Kroger, no Trader Joe's and stuff like that. We have like the basics, just Target and Walmart costco but yeah I, we barely shop at target for like grocery kind of stuff walmart as well not not really like groceries but yeah yeah majority of the stuff comes from costco for us yeah, yeah I, i'm kind of slowly starting to bring my food up um so right now i'm around the um i kind of gave myself a little bit more of like a, a recovery diet after my my deficit um, even though, you know, I didn't get that lean, um, I just don't like to be overly restrictive for too long, um, or else it plays into my psychological, uh, quite a bit. Um, uh, but my food's up relatively the same as yours. Um, I'm around like 75 grams of fat. Um, I'm probably only in the 500 range for carbohydrates right now. And then proteins in that same, like 220 to 240 range. Um, uh, but I've still been running the same push, pull, lower split. Um, and we talked about this in the last podcast and I thought this was kind of, um, a good topic to bring up, but, uh, the asynchronous split style that I'm running right now, you know, doing push off, uh, excuse me, push, pull off, lower off was the original split. Um, and now I've, I've still been letting myself, uh, auto regulate my training. So like this past week, I essentially did, uh, Monday was push Tuesday was off Wednesday was pull Thursday was off. And then, uh, Friday was lower. And I started to notice this trend line where, um, you know, in the beginning of this whole process, I was training four days a week on average. And then some weeks I got up to five days and then some weeks would be three. And now my rest days are just starting to become more and more prevalent um, as fatigue continues to rise. So, you know, that that's, can be something that you look out for if you are doing a synchronous or a, an asynchronous split is that if you're starting to auto-regulate your rest days and you have to have like two rest days between your next training session, then eh, 
you know, there might be um, a deload necessary. Was your, your split, is it like a 10 day rotation? Uh, so I think it would be technically like a, like an eight day rotation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, let me write it out real quick. While you're writing that out, were you, um, when you started your recovery diet, did you like increase calories, like, uh, like a big amount? No. So, um, I'm working with Jack Piad. Uh, oh, do you know, right. you know who Jack Piad is? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he really just added 50 grams of carbs to, uh, my off days and my training days. Um, but, uh, I kind of, I listened to my body a little bit more than that. Um, mm-hmm. so my carbohydrates went from average of 400 for the week up to, I think like 521. Um, and then I've just maintained around that 500 mark. Um, mm-hmm. And body weight has been slowly trending up. Um, oddly enough, body weight went up like, I don't think it went up at all when I added um, all of that food in. And now body weight is up about on average uh, three pounds from where I was at the lowest. Um, but I do think I'll drop a fair amount of fatigue. And I, I think some of that body weight will come off. Um just because I, I really do think I'm, I've like dug a hole for myself. I got to get back out of now. Um, but oh, yeah. hey, it happens. Was it where you like digging yourself deeper into that hole when you were, um, I guess, doing the like the zero RIR kind of training? Because I saw you were doing, yeah. Um, yeah, like the the pendulum squats and hole oh, that zero RIR was a grinder, dude. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I would have yeah, survived so- that. that. That was crazy. That. So that was my last leg day. I woke up the next day feeling like trash, just Mm -hmm. absolute trash. The next day I woke up and I felt like absolute trash, decided I would, I would still hit a push session. Um, and the push session was just lackluster. I mean, it was just, should have been a rest day, should have been a deload. Um, but I think I'm going to be doing a deload, uh, this upcoming week. So, um, yeah, hopefully we can. Yeah, is RIR for you kind of like um, escalating through the um, through the mesocycle? So like, yeah, like week one doing three and then getting closer to the end of the meso reaching zero. So I actually just listened to what Jack had put me on in terms of programming wise. So mm-hmm. uh, what we decided on was doing one rep and reserve on all of my big movements. Um, so let's say for, for leg day, I was doing uh, one rep and reserve on pendulum squat and split squat, excuse me. And then on all of my other movements like seated hamstring curl, adductor, uh, calf raise, and leg extension, I was going to failure, so zero RIR. Um, and I just maintained one RIR across the board um, from week one until week 12. Um, but you know, going forward, I'm probably not going to be doing that. I Mm -hmm. do not like to do that because I generally get some really good results and, and really good progress, uh, within the first like six to eight weeks. And then I hit a wall, um, and the fatigue becomes a little bit too high. Um, I start to tweak things here and there, you know, like, uh, two weeks ago I was doing a, uh, the hammer strength incline press, 
Um, got a little bit out of position, tweaked my neck. Uh, nothing serious, luckily, knock on wood. Um, but um, yeah, I don't think I'll be going from a uh, pretty much just training to failure and just mm -hmm. keeping that consistent. I, I definitely like the ramping of the RIR. Some people can get away with it. Um, maybe people who are not quite as uh, active in their their daily jobs. Um, but, you know, I train people in person um, and I'm a higher stress individual in general. So I just think that also plays a pretty big role um, in, in terms of, of RIR. You know, somebody like AJ Morris, um, some of these UK guys, you know, they manage every little variable that is possible. They don't train in person. Um, they do a lot of online coaching. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe they can train to failure and fully recover from it. But somebody like myself, um, I just can't. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I'm the same way just because I'm so active. You know what I mean? Like if I'm, if I'm training one to zero RIR every single week, like I'll be gassed by the third week. And like my muscle cycles are short. It's only four weeks. So mm -hmm. just four weeks of that, I can be. I can be down like even right now like how some of our program is written um we have we prescribe rir for certain exercises right so mm -hmm. so some of them will be three some of them will be one and then maybe by week two week three we're already at zero so like judging rir for me it, it can be kind of like an iffy thing like i'm so used to like that escalating rir three two one zero that like sometimes i might overshoot on on some rirs like if i'm not paying attention to like my sheets like oh, okay i got i got this exercise i don't look at what rir it is like i'll just try to beat the last week but then really it'll yeah. be like okay you, you have to go to zero this week on this on this on this exercise and it's like yeah like sometimes it, <laughs> I'll, I'll just like kind of beat myself up about it because i'm like oh fuck like i'm supposed to be going a little bit more i'm supposed to be not going as hard you know what i mean mm -hmm. but like sometimes i'll have an issue with judging between three rar and two rar like if I, i'll record maybe like the first set and i'll be like oh man you know that was a little bit too fast still you know like the the velocity of the of the rep and then the following week say it's this it's the same rar like i'll i'll go for it and like i'll go one more and then it's like that tipping point it's like oh it was too much this time you know yep. like maybe last week was yep. yeah maybe last week was correct in my in my judgment yeah so like i I'll especially get that way around yeah between three and two RIR. Like sometimes when I reach three, I'm like, oh, that just felt too easy. Maybe I'll just go for another one, you know? And then like fatigue and um, and whatnot can escalate like really quickly when we reach mm -hmm. one and zero. Yeah, like sometimes it'll be one RIR on week two and then, you know, zero on three and four. I'm like, oh shit. Like <laughs> I still got two more weeks of this. Yeah, and then I it to, like manage that fatigue can become yeah kind of difficult based on the movement that you're doing too like you know if you overshoot an rir on hack squat or pendulum squat like man you're probably gonna pay for that yeah. um, in the long yeah. run you know but if you overshoot on like like i think you overshot on lying hamstring curl 
Yeah, um, yeah, that was one right. One. Yeah, and th- and then you know it's like, you know, how much systemic fatigue is that going to generate? I don't know. Probably not as not that much. Not as much as the pendulum squat, right? Yeah. Um, but to your point, like you know, if you did like on week one, you have a three RIR, and then you go in on week two, you have a two RIR. Um, and then you go in and, and you perform the same exact uh, sets, load, and everything that you did on week one. Um, but in your head, you're like, you know, you have to make that progression. Um, I think that's where the things can get kind of finicky using RIR. Um, because maybe you did make a progression, but then maybe you're like at one rep in reserve, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that and, – and that's where – being advanced, being an advanced trainee is uh, like splitting hairs. You know, it, it can be really difficult in terms of getting your rep and reserve absolutely perfect every single time that you come in, um, just because, especially with us working fairly active jobs, um, you know, you, you might not uh, be fully recovered because you wake up at, you know, one thirty in the morning and you're already 13,000 steps in, you know, something like that. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I've yeah. been kind of like, I can undershoot RAR as well. Like, especially with RDLs, like I'll be watching it. And like, I was, I was telling you about like the leg shakes, right? So mm-hmm. like when I was even watching those ones back, that was supposed to be two, three RAR, but like, I looked like I had so much more, but like, like the limiting factor was more cardio, I think. Like, especially on the the higher rep stuff, like eight yeah. to twelve. Like when I hit ten and it's supposed to be one RAR, I'm like, that doesn't even look like three. But like I'm so gassed already, like from trying to breathe in, brace, you know, go through the rep and exhale. Like, yeah, that's that's like the problem that I've been having the past I, I want to say mesocycle or so that's a great topic of discussion because there's a couple of different ways that we could go about uh bringing up your aerobic adaptations you know this is where you know we don't want to get uh too deep into the into the weeds with this but um you know even just having you do something like right right now you're not doing any dedicated cardio are you no 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 so maybe this would be a good idea to just implement, you know, maybe one session of some light intensity steady state at 20 to 30 minutes and see if that improves. Um, if it doesn't improve, because um, this is the exact same thing happened to me on the pendulum squat. Uh, I do like one top set of uh, six to six to nine, and then I do another set of like 10 to 15. And um, it was just one of those weeks where I made good progressions. I ended up doing like 17 reps. Um, and the limiting factor again was the, the cardiovascular aspect. So it's like, you know, I have the strength, like my quads have the strength, just like your hamstrings, your posterior chain has the strength to do more reps. Um, but you know, we're limited by that cardio aspect. So how do we go about, uh, improving that aspect? What do we do? Do we bring our our reps down? Uh, do we do a short block maybe where we're doing some quote unquote density work on something like an RDL or do we just simple, simply implement some, some aerobic work? Um, this is where you can get into the nuance and, uh, you know, the metabolic programming aspect of things. Um, 
and we won't go down that route today. Um, but, but one thing I, I, I find kind of interesting is, you know, um, especially around the people who are very heavy on, uh, biomechanics and execution. Um, this was very popular, like keeping constant tension when you're doing your squats, right? Like not resting at the top, but at some point it's like, you know, cardio might become a limiting factor if you're doing 15 reps. So resting at the top might actually be kind of a smart thing to do so that you don't go into your rep and not be properly braced, you know? Um, and I think that's also like kind of a, a movement discussion too. It's like, you're not going to sit there and hang out with art and RDL with 300 plus pounds, um, for, for five seconds, you know, resting at the top. So, yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about like continuous reps, um, you know, versus taking a little bit of time, maybe taking two breaths and extending the set a little bit further? Like, you know, that you have more, but you know, you just have to catch your breath and you're waiting there and it's almost turning into like a rest pause kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I would say if you keep it consistent from week to week, I don't see the problem with it. Um, if you're doing something like, let's just say pendulum squat and you're doing a set of five, then maybe taking a second at the top to, to rest and really brace, you know, the Valsalva maneuver, make sure you're ready mentally for that rep too, has a lot of value in it. Uh, maybe if you're doing like a set of 12 or 15, uh, maybe you do try to make them continuous. Maybe you get something like 13 continuous and then you add like two reps and then you're kind of getting into the, like the myo rep aspect of things. But I mean, I don't think that there's like a right way or like a wrong way. Um, I mean, I think as long as you're consistent from week to week and you're not doing like, you know, you do three plates for 10 reps continuous. And then the next week you do uh, three and a half plates, you do 10 reps, but you did it in like a six reps and then you rested and then did three and then you rested and did one. Mm -hmm. um, then there's a problem there. Um, but even if you did something like, you know, I would even argue and say, if you did three plates and you did eight reps, you rested for five seconds at the top and then did two more. And then the next week you come in, you do a little bit more load, but you do eight reps continuous and then you add two more. And probably not a big deal, you know, mm -hmm. um, as long as you're consistent. I think that's the answer. Yeah. No, I, I only ask because that's how I've been feeling on pendulum squats like um on our back down set we're doing seven to ten so i mean i'll get as much as five six and then like continuous and i feel like i'm just taking like too long at the top just like i take like really two really big breaths and i'm just going but you know when i when i watch it back and i and i think about it i'm like uh, it wasn't really that long it's i consider that a continuous set i'd say yeah. Yeah. Like, and then yeah. you can get into like starting to reset movements too, uh, because this happens to me, you know, you start to make progressions because we want to make progressions. Um, and then you might say, okay, well, like my pauses absolutely sucked on the pendulum last week. Um, so then this week I go in and I'm going to nail the pauses. Even if I lose three reps, um, mm -hmm. I'm at least building back and resetting that movement going forward. I think, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, that's also better because you're actually eliciting a greater stimulus, right? Instead of just mm -hmm. constantly trying to to push progressions, you know, maybe you're cutting range of motion a little bit short and like your your joints are getting, you know, just beat up from trying to force progressions to happen. That can be a mm -hmm. viable step too, right? Taking a step back, maybe taking some pauses in the both end ranges, scaling load back a little bit, you'll notice that you know, your joints are feeling a lot better. You're feeling a lot better stimulus. You're feeling greater pump in the actual target muscles versus maybe say you like your lower back, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I and like it is. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. If something gets stale too, it's like, you know, you, you haven't been able to make progressions on something for five weeks, then maybe just you know, regressing the movement just a little bit, resetting some baselines and then going up from there can be, uh, can have a lot of value. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've been modifying like some exercise execution as well this week, just for like a greater stimulus. I was watching, um, Paul Carter's execution video on JM presses. He made a really good point about bringing the bar down to like my throat and to like, um, instead maybe go a little bit higher keeping thinking about keeping that elbow higher in the bottom position um mm. versus yeah going to the throat because you can involve a lot of shoulders and upper chest which is what i've been feeling um last mesocycle i was like why am i feeling this so much in my 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 delts and like my upper chest and then i made that I change can totally see that. yeah yeah i made that change to going to the nose and keeping the elbows a little bit higher dude, so much better stimulus. And that was the rest pause technique too. So I was like struggling to match reps. Right. So it was like, and you, you're doing that on a Smith machine too, right? Yeah. Smith machine jam presses. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of what Paul Carter says, I mean, I, I love a lot of what he says. Um, there's a lot of drama going on right now, unfortunately, um, <laughs> yeah. on the Instagrams. Yeah. Um, but where did you see that? Was that, was that on his Instagram? That was on his Instagram. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's just like all the, Damn, I wish I could see that, that everybody, everybody is arguing about. I mean, when it comes to like the bigger picture kind of stuff, like nobody really needs to like get into the nuance of, Oh, this exercise works the upper traps. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. the majority of the people don't need to worry about that kind of stuff. It's, yeah. yeah. And I think that's the, also the thing that is um, kind of deceiving about social media is like all of these guys pretty much agree on the principle that play. They all agree. You know, Kasim agrees with uh, Mike on the, the big, the big rocks, you know, the things yeah. that matter the most. Yeah. Um, but that's not what gets the most attention and traction on social media. It tends to be the, the arguments yeah, and the drama. disagreements. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they want to have somebody to go to that's like, like the guy that's full of knowledge that's always right. And like, nobody really has like their own opinion about stuff. It's like, oh, when new research comes out, they always turn to, you know, say Kaz, oh, what do you think about this? Oh, they go to Park Carter, oh, what do you think about this? And yeah. Just yep, and it's, it's, and that's why I like, um, the we might have talked about this but the uh huberman and lane norton podcast mm -hmm. and they talked about like the placebo effect being like one of the strongest things that 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 you can utilize so it's like 
you know, the placebo effect shows that, you know, maybe science sometimes can be bullshit. You know, I mean, it's like almost like if you go into the gym and and you're doing a movement that you think is going to be really good for your triceps, like a tricep push down. And just because you believe it's going to be good for your tricep, then it's going to be really good for your triceps. Uh, but if you read a study that says, hey, tricep push downs aren't going to do anything for your triceps, or maybe that's how you interpreted it or somebody told you that, then when you go in and do your push downs, probably not going to elicit that great of a response. The mind is very powerful. Yeah, it is. I mean, <laughs> when it comes to like really pushing yourself and applying yourself, that's where it really kind of tests you, especially even on like those yeah. harder sets, like those zero RAR sets, like you may be saying to yourself like, Oh man, this, this hurts so much. Like I want to stop, but you know, like, you know, you have a lot more, but are you going to end that set or are you going to, you know, keep going? Like sometimes I suffer yeah. from that as well, like especially with like the bigger movements on RDLs and, you know, pendulum squats, especially when I record it. I'm like, oh, I'll cut the set here and then like I'll watch it back. Oh, you know what? I, I regret that. I should have should have kept going. But yeah, how was recovery? And that's why do what? How has recovery been for you? Man, you know, I'm really only training each body part one time a week. Mm -hmm. So it's not like I've gotten a whole lot of like recovery adaptations. Like if I was training legs, let's say like Tuesday and Friday, I would generally probably the first week be pretty sore going into that Friday session. But then the second week and third week, I'd get those adaptations. I really wouldn't have too much to worry about. Uh, but now that I'm only hitting legs like once a week, man, it, uh, it makes me very, very sore. <laughs> um, mm. I might have to be changing my approach just slightly. Um, the RDLs are back in, so I'm very happy about that. You know, uh, 10 weeks ago, I had the um, SI joint issue uh, when we were traveling. Uh, so really, really happy to be doing the RDLs again and, and had to reset that movement from the top this past week. Uh, so I do hit hamstrings on my pole day um, via RDL um, and then hit legs later in the week. But I might disperse my volume a little bit so that um, frequency goes up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What, do you, what are you doing outside of like outside of the gym to facilitate recovery? Are you doing like anything special? Like really um, so sleep and... prioritizing sleep, um, staying on top of uh, just the big thing for me right now, especially as my food gets higher and higher is just making sure that I'm spacing my meals out adequately throughout my day. Cause I, I'm one of those people I wake up and, uh, I just want to get to work immediately and I'll just work like today, for example, uh, I haven't had anything. Um, and it's almost 1 PM. Uh, so I have a lot of catching up to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. so I'll probably have like, you know, some, a protein shake and a banana, go on a walk, come back, eat rice and chicken, uh, have a protein shake and some other fruit, um, and just, uh, try to condense my meals down. But, um, yeah, are you yeah, I, I would say like, I'm doing some mobility work, uh, yeah, through the, this guy, David Gray rehab. Mm -hmm. Um, so he's in Ireland 
and he works with pretty much just athletes, people who have, you know, ankle problems, knee problems, hip problems, back problems, hamstring problems. Um, and I've had a plethora of injuries uh, over my career. You know, I've tore my hamstrings like six times. I've had SI joint issues my whole life. Um, so doing a lot of these exercises have been just super helpful. So uh, I'll tell you this, this little story here and then we can wrap it up. But uh, two weeks ago, I did RDLs from the floor. And I was starting, I was doing it from the floor just to see how, uh, how I could, how my hamstrings would respond to it, what the stimulus would be like. Um, and I get a much better stimulus starting my RDLs from the top, by the way. Um, so anyways, I had on, I think 365 pounds. Uh, I think I did nine reps and, um, I didn't really get a whole, whole lot of soreness in my hamstrings and my glutes. And two days later, I started getting back into the David Gray rehab stuff. And he has this one exercise, which you put your, um, actually two exercises. The first one, you go into a glute bridge on the ground and you pull with your heels back toward your butt cheeks. And that's going to get your hamstrings activated. Your glutes are activated because you're in that bridge position. And then you take your hands and you reach and touch toward your opposite ear. So you're going through some thoracic rotation while you do that. So that was one exercise. The other one was a foam roller bridge. So I would put my, the balls of my feet on a foam roller and my feet would, it would be more like a hamstring bridge. So go into a bridge position, tuck the pelvis. Uh, so you're going into a little bit of a posterior pelvic tilt. Uh, and then you go into a glute bridge. So now you got your glutes activated. And then you drive your heels off, uh, you drive your heels up toward the ceiling because the balls of your feet are on the foam roller. And then you pull your heels back toward you. So now you got your calves activated, your glutes, your hamstrings, and you have this proper positioning of your pelvis and your rib cage. And uh, you just hold it for like, you know, 20, 30 seconds. And I woke up the next day and my hamstrings were just brutalized just from, you know, two low level exercises. So I have been doing some David Gray rehab stuff. He has some, some exercises like the rock back breathing, the all four abs, the 90, 90 hip transitions and stuff like that. Um, and I try to typically do that before my leg sessions and then also do it, um, before bed. You know how that goes though. It's kind mm -hmm. of a hit and miss thing. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have like just designated times then during the day? Like, okay. I'm going to go do my mobility. Just got to make sure I get it in because for me, like I'll just try to fit in whenever I can, dude. Like sometimes I'll be yeah. like so busy, but like, ah, oh, fuck. I only have like 30 minutes to, to get my stuff ready for the next day. And like, I got to eat and stuff. I'm like, ah, oh, I don't have time for it for today. And then like, it'll just stack. Okay. And, and it's been like a week, a week past already. I'm like, yeah, I, I only did it like once or twice this week. Uh, yeah, it gets kind yep. of uh, for me that is I get into a bad habit where like as fatigue accumulates throughout the program I get like less and less inclined to do any mobility or stretching or anything mm -hmm. and then like during a deload week I'm like okay I'm gonna be on top of this and then I get into the new program I'm always like yeah feeling great um, and then like I just 
life happens. Things get busy. I mean, I don't put it into my schedule or anything. It just happens when um, I have the the mental capacity and the uh, the time to do it. Mm-hmm. No, it's crazy too because like I was, I you know, I was having the plantar fasciitis problem. So yesterday or the day before, I actually dedicated some time to doing um, some internal rotation and trying to to work on that arch. And like my knees felt so much better because I actually had an arch in my foot. And then like the the pain that I had in the patellar, patellar tendon, underneath the kneecap, that like Mm -hmm. pretty much dissipated after that. I was like, I gotta do this more often. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and then it's like, you know, you do those things, you start feeling really good. And then once you feel really good, you're like, well, I don't need to do those things anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. That's why I was like, <laughs> okay, I, I got my fix in for the week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like just taking your car in for maintenance. And then afterwards, you're like, hey, it's not making that sound anymore. Let's keep driving it like an asshole. And... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll, just run, I'll just run it into the ground until it, it, it becomes an issue again. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's, uh, and, and, and you know, with all the clients I've worked with over the years, they do the same thing. I mean, Mm -hmm. um, it's hard to do something when you're like, I don't have any pain. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I went to the, the Thai massage thing last week, Sunday. So, Oh yeah. How was that? That was, that was pretty good. I mean, um, it's nothing that I can't do on a foam roller or a lacrosse ball, you know? So <laughs> I paid like yeah. $100, $140 for some little small Asian lady to just step on my back, step on my hamstrings. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So she, with the, she with did the like massage. Atsu. Yeah. Uh, what do they call uh, that? I'm not too sure what the tech, what the, the proper like name for it is, but it's like these, just these small little Asian ladies like they'll they'll go through like oh what kind of what kind of massage do you want do you want deep tissue do you want um you know like the traditional thai massage i'm like okay give me the deep tissue and then she was just like really starting to like work my back work my hamstrings like with her with her hands first and then like she'll get on top of your back so they like they have this rail above them that they hold onto and then they're like really good with their feet dude they love they'll like walk your walk your back and then like they'll use your toes and like they'll push on like say the spinal erectors they'll push it outwards like they'll they'll just work their way up your back and then they'll they'll push outwards or like on those muscles i was like oh this this is this is interesting (laughs) and then like they'll use like the heel for like certain parts of your back as well for like the real like meaty parts like maybe say like your traps and stuff i was like yeah this is this is it's nice, but it's it's nothing that I can't do myself with like a foam roller or a or the crossball, and that kind of gets me thinking about like using these different types of like massages and like say chiropractic work as like a first line to mitigate pain and like mitigate um, like injuries and stuff like that. And I don't think it's a very like viable option for the majority of people. I think people turn like too quickly to this very quick fix kind of recovery options, right? So like a lot of my coworkers, like 
they'll, they'll get back injuries just due to like the nature of our work. It's kind of like construction type of work, right? We're carrying a lot of stuff where we're walking up and down stairs, we're climbing ladders, we're crouching, we're picking up material in like really awkward positions. We're having to kneel down and stuff like that. So we're pretty susceptible to injuries, I'd say. And like a few times um, our coworkers will maybe say tweak their back or something like that. And like the first thing that they turn to is, oh, I got to go to a chiropractor. You know, like my yep. my spine's out of alignment. Oh, you know, the doctor said like, yeah, like I have like anterior pelvic tilt or like my, my shoulder is like down one way and like I just got to get realigned, you know, and that's going to solve my problems. And it's not, you know, it's it's like it's a quick fix kind of thing for for quick relief, but you're not getting down to the root of the problem here. Like exactly. it's, it's not, it's, it's not just, it's not just like the orientation of your, your bones. It's, it's how your muscles are, you know, pulling these bones into certain positions, how you're feeling pain and stuff like that. And, you know, if you're, if you're just looking at this very surface level thing to try and fix your pain, like it's just going to keep coming back, you know, like yep. what are you going to do to to fix the problem in the long term so that you're not getting injured. It's not just about fixing your getting readjusted, you know, every single time you get hurt. That's a little rant that I had. Yeah, yeah I, I agree 100%. You know, I think a lot of times people and, and it, it's kind of like culturally driven and um, yeah, also the marketing that, you know, chiropractors and massage therapists um, do uh you know if you go to a chiropractor and or a massage therapist and and you might get some relief from it it's probably a very short-term relief right uh, yeah. because like if your left shoulder is way higher than your right shoulder you know maybe you can get some of the muscles to calm down and maybe find a little bit of that balance but then like you said like you got to find the root cause of like why that happened in the first place um, you know, are you doing something like your job where, um, you're bending over quite a bit and you're not like exposing yourself any other time in your life, uh, to bending over with load, um, yeah. then maybe starting with like, you know, learning the deadlift and strengthening, um, yeah. in some of those end range positions might be a good idea. Um, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I think a lot of people, uh, very much rely on chiropractors, PTs, uh, massage therapists to like fix them. Um, and you know, we've, we're kind of in the, the quote unquote evidence-based world where, uh, we see like, uh, what's that Instagram account? No physio bullshit. Um, mm -hmm. kind of talk about those things where it's like, you know, these recovery modalities are not really doing much at all. Yeah. If anything, like the benefit that you get out of a massage would be from the, the physical contact, um, yeah. you know, uh, the, the compassionate touch type of thing. Um, yeah, no, I'm a hundred percent on board. Yeah. Well, like with our coworkers and stuff too, it's like, they only see work as like, Oh, this is, this is like my, this is enough exercise for me. You know what I mean? I'm walking around, I'm getting, you know, I'm carrying stuff. I'm this, this is like good enough for me, but for the most, or for like majority of them, it, it's, it's not enough. You know what I mean? Like this amount of activity is just baseline now. You know what I mean? Like 
you know, you're getting into these, these different end ranges with load and stuff like that, but like, you're, you're still really just susceptible to injury if you're, if you're not careful. And like a lot of these guys, they don't, they don't go to the gym, you know what I mean? So there's a lot of different contributing factors to them getting injured. It's, it's not just, yeah, like the, the spinal alignment and stuff like that. It's, it's also weak muscles and not mm-hmm. being able to, yeah, to get into those those weird end ranges that we're exposed to with load and, you know, like strengthening those, those muscles can reduce injury risk by like a marginal amount, you know, but they don't, they don't, they don't see it that way. They just think, Oh, I'm just gonna, you know, just get a quick fix and then I'll be good to go again. And this is enough exercise for me to where I don't need to, you know, strengthen my back muscles to be able to do my job, you know? Yeah. Cause you know, some of those, um, like low level strengthening exercises can be a lot of work too. Mm -hmm. Uh, so of course it's just easier to, you know, jam a ball into your side or, uh, have somebody step up and down your back. Um, and speaking of that, I, 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 uh, I looked it up the Thai massage where people walk on your back is called, I'm going to, I'm probably going to butcher this, but Ashiatsu massage. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's what it's called. There is one near me. I might uh, just have to try it out just for fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just keep, yeah. your, keep your expectations low. Don't, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you I'm know, gonna say, like, hopes up too high. Dude, I've probably had maybe five, four or five massages in my whole life. And uh, I've never walked out, like, ever feeling really good from it. Um, and the same thing about a chiropractor, um, I will say, uh, there was a chiropractor down in Cincinnati, uh, Dr. Eric Nabby was his name and he has a place called free form and function, something like that. Um, but I, I, I won this like free spinal assessment or something like that. And I go in and I was like, man, my back's been bothering me. My hips been bothering me. This was probably three, four years ago. And I was like, man, I, I'm really excited for him to just get me on the table and just, you know, crank my neck and pop my back and pull my leg and pop my hip and all that shit. But I go in there and, uh, he gives me two, three exercises, um, a dead bug, some breathing exercises and like a side plank variation for my hip and my shoulder and stuff. And, mm-hmm. um, like I was just blown away. I was like, this is the first time I've ever gone to a chiropractor where he didn't, manipulate me, do any spinal adjustment. And he gave me exercises to do. Um, Mm -hmm. Crazy, absolutely crazy. And when you can find those people, definitely hang on to them. Yeah, that's definitely gold. So like they'll, they'll do more of the corrective exercises first before they get into some really needed chiropractic work, right? I think that's, that's really valuable. Mm -hmm. You know, what's funny too, because like at that shopping mall that I was at, there was a chiropractic place right next to the massage place. I was like, Oh, you can get your, <laughs> you can get readjusted and then just go, go to a, a massage right next door. <laughs> How convenient. Yeah. It's so funny. And be out like 300 to $400. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're running you for your money, dude. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. I think that's all I got. You got anything else? Nothing for me. Yeah. I think that was a good chat. Yeah, that was awesome. We'll we'll definitely have to start doing these more regularly. Yeah, I was enjoying it.
Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Catch you guys we will catch episode. you on the next episode.